electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. I'm Melissa Lee. And today for Kelly Evans, here's what is ahead. Stocks lower, some key earnings disappoint, and control of Congress remains unclear. We'll dive into it all. Plus, the FTX effect. How far-reaching is the company's liquidity crunch? Who's on the hook for losses? And what does it mean for the future of the crypto market? And Volkswagen going zero to 60 on EVs, predicting the U.S. will be a major player by 2030. The company's new America Group CEO will join us live right here in studio with how he plans to reach that goal. But we begin with the markets and Bob Bassani at the New York Stock Exchange. Bob. And uh, Melissa, very interesting day. We're sitting not far from the lows, but remember, we've had some nice moves up in the last couple of weeks. Let's take a look at the major indices. Remember, the Dow was 29,000, you know, just about a month ago, and we're 33,000 just off of that right now. So it's had a nice little run. Uh, S&P 500, we were knocking uh, on the door of 3,900 that, not that long ago. So not surprising we had a little pullback. NASDAQ has been the weakest of the major indices throughout the last month. It's only 4 or 5% off of a 52-week low. Just to show you the Dow movers right now, Disney is a real problem for the Dow. $12 down. That's about 85 points on the, on the Dow Jones Industrial Average weighing it down. Apple's been a bit of a problem, uh, as has Salesforce throughout the days. Tech's generally weaker. Um, Chevron's been a problem simply because crude's gone from, what, 94 three days ago to $86 today. So that's under a little bit of pressure, but a good move. There's a new high for Merck, 103. Uh, so the defensive stocks are doing better today. So Merck, Johnson & Johnson, all on the upside. Uh, elsewhere, this debacle with FTX is really having an impact on uh, the risk appetite part of the market, particularly the more speculative part of the market. And I'm not just talking about crypto-related stocks. They're all down again today. Coinbase, MicroStrategy, Marathon, Riot. These stocks are down 70 to 80 uh, percent in the last 52 weeks uh, or so. Uh, so another big down decline today. I'm talking about the impact on more speculative parts of the other market, like speculative tech stocks, uh, Kathy Wood stuff. So we have new lows again on a whole bunch of these names, Unity Software, uh, Zoom Video, Roku, DocuSign. These, again, are all sitting at 52-week lows. And finally, remember the old meme stocks? Well, that's a speculative trade right there. A game stock broke 24. That's um, uh, a major support level for GameStop, now at 22. That's down big today. Bed Bath & Beyond, $3.63. That's got to be a 25 or 26-year low for Bed Bath & Beyond. And AMC Entertainment uh, at $5.09. That's a new 52-week low. So, Melissa, you see this sort of ripple impact on other parts of the market. You can consider more speculative that are the non-crypto parts. Uh, of the stock exchange. Melissa, back to you. Well, you know, Bob, what was interesting in yesterday's session and in today's session, when Bitcoin hit its lows for the session, that's also when the S&P hit its lows. That's right. So exactly. what you're saying is, is dead on. Right. So it, remember, everybody kept saying, 
oh, well, we, you know, this is a separate asset class, and therefore people, e even though it's speculative, should have 1% to 5% of their assets uh, in this. Well, some people took that to heart, and you can see the impact that it's had. Yesterday, we dropped 50 points in the middle of the day mm -hmm. on the S&P, and the only thing that was out there was this crypto collapse. So there is a knock-on effect here. Even if you only have 1% or 2% of your assets, mentally it can have some impact on your, the speculative juices, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani. Okay. The midterm results remain front and center today as control of Congress continues to hang in the balance. Elon Moy is here with the latest on the key races and states to watch. Elon. Melissa, there are some new calls in key races. First, NBC News now projects the fight for Georgia's Senate seat will head to a runoff. Neither incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock or GOP challenger Herschel Walker is expected to get 50% of the vote. That means they'll face off again in a head-to-head -head competition on December the 6th. But there is good news for the GOP in Wisconsin. NBC predicts Republican Senator Ron Johnson will hold on to his seat after a bitter race against Democrat Mandela Barnes. Republicans also ousted the head of Democrats' congressional campaign arm, Representative Sean Patrick Maloney. GOP state legislator Mike Lawler will represent the New York 17th instead. And as we sit here, I can't, with 100% certainty, tell you who holds the House majority. But I will leave it to others to make predictions. We're going to do it the right way. But so far, Democrats have fended off a red wave. The latest NBC projection shows Republicans winning 221 seats in the House versus 214 for Democrats. Now, that's enough to give the GOP the majority, but there is no official call yet. Meanwhile, the Senate is still up for grabs. Today, Dr. Oz conceded the race for Pennsylvania's open Senate seat to Democrat John Fetterman. That's a big flip for the party. And vote counting in Nevada is likely to go through at least tomorrow. Arizona is expected to finish on Friday at the earliest. So, Melissa, there could still be a couple of surprises left. All right, Elon, stay right there. Last night's midterm results were full of surprises for many, including our next guest, who was predicting a Republican sweep in Washington. But with a split Congress looking less looking likely, what lies ahead for policy remains unclear. Let's bring in Brian Gardner, Stiefel's chief Washington policy strategist. Um, Brian, great to have you with us. You were actually predicting a red wave, which didn't materialize. Um, what do you think happened? Yeah, I, I, back in the summer, I was kind of skeptical and I bought into the the, the, the fall momentum that uh, appeared to be building for Republicans. And I was dead wrong. I'll, I'll definitely own that. I think what happened is um, voters are concerned about inflation. They aren't. Uh, they are concerned about the economy. But I don't think Republican candidates gave them enough uh, in terms of policy proposal, what they were going to do about it. I think too many Republicans are running on grievance rather than governance. And I think voters reacted to that and kind of rejected a number of, of uh, Republican candidates. How do the results so far change your predictions for what will happen to key areas of legislation? Yeah, so, you know, I, I clearly got the results wrong, um, but I think, the, so. I but I get to the same outcome. So mm -hmm. I got there the wrong way, but I still think um, it's gridlock at the end of the day. I mean, Elon was going through what the, the House numbers probably look like. That's a, that's a pretty much a flip of what we have right now in the House, a very divided uh, Congress, but one uh, House, but one party will control versus the other. Still a, close to a 50-50 Senate. So I think at the end of the day, gridlock is, is the name of the game. And so parties are going to have to figure out how to pass, must pass legislation, budgets, debt ceiling, stuff to keep the lights on. But I think they both parties will struggle to get um, 
discretionary items across, things that don't have to be passed immediately. Brian, just from what you've seen so far, what do you think the results say about not just the next two years, but what happens after 2024? Do you think yesterday's results were a repudiation of sort of the Trump MAGA movement, or do you think it still has some legs? I think it has legs because there is a significant part of the Republican Party that that belongs to this populist wing, that identifies with this populist wing. They're not going away. But I think what the results told Republican voters last night is that's not enough. When you look at what the what the successful candidates looked like, they were competent. They were into governance. When you look at Mike DeWine in Ohio, Ron DeSantis in Florida, uh, Governor Kemp in Georgia, Marco Rubio, these are people that that campaigned on getting things done and governing responsibly. They 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 ran as adults, not as um, for lack of a better term, not as children who were whining about past wrongs done to them. Um, so I think it's a wake up moment for Republican voters. If they want to get back into the majority, they want to get back to governing. Voters across the country last night sent a very strong message. It's time to refocus your energies onto the issues that voters care about and how to implement them, not running on grievances all the time. Yeah. And between now and, and the presidential election, Brian, the economy could fall into a recession officially. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, in terms of, of gridlock, does it make it much more difficult to pass some sort of stimulus and therefore get the economy back on its on its feet? What's your view on that? Yeah, it, you know, in, in in a tightly divided Congress like that, it's going to be really tough to get something through. Maybe some some lesser items like ex, you know expanded unemployment benefits, expanded food stamps, depending on what the what the recession looks like. Um, but I think this puts a lot of pressure on the Fed because it is going to remove, for the most part, the tool of uh, of a fiscal response. So um, the Fed could be the only show in town for the next two years when it comes to economic policy in the U.S. The other issue that um, you know investors are paying close attention to is regulation. And the notion was that a red wave would be much better for a lot of companies by way of, of easier regulation or lifted regulation. Um, with these results, Brian, it, it seems like that may not be as clear uh, to materialize for investors. What's your take? Yeah, I want to be clear on this. I never bought into that okay. part of the argument because I, I think the regulators were in place and a Republican Senate could put some brakes on new regulators taking over. But the regulators that are already in place at the banking regulators, at EPA, at the at the various agencies, they're already in place. And I think the Biden administration had a playbook about how to circumvent a Republican Senate if it came to that. So I never quite bought into that. But certainly, um, uh, in terms of holding oversight hearings in the Senate and bringing up uh, various heads of agencies and, and berating them for for different regulatory actions, that probably goes away if uh, if the Senate remains uh, Democratic and and it gives Democrats a freer hand to replace anybody that does leave in the next two years. Hmm. Okay, Brian, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it, Brian thank Gardner, people, and of course our thanks to Elon Moy. Nice to see you in person. Thank you. All right, 10-year notes up for auction. Rick Santelli is tracking all the action at the CME. Hey, Rick. Hi, Melissa Lee. Well, we had 35 billion of 10-year notes that came to auction by the U.S. Treasury, and this could be one of the weakest 10-year note auctions I've covered. The yield, 4.14%. The problem, it was right under 411 in the when issued market, so it tailed badly. And many of the metrics are very weak. The bid to cover at 223 Weakest since August of 2019. Indirects are under the average. Directs are about the only thing that was near its 10 auction average. 
and the dealer's takedown was 24.4%. The 10 auction average is 15%. That was the weakest since March of 21. D minus, dog minus. Listen, that's pretty much the lowest grade you give at an auction because the only way you get an F is if we don't move all the paper and the treasury would pull the auction before they allowed that to happen. Now, why did it tail so badly? Well, we have CPI in the morning, but the numbers are supposed to be a bit cooler. It seems to me that this could be something to do with, of course, the midterms and the uncertainty surrounding them, and we'll have to continue to monitor all that is 10-year notes, because if 10-year note yields start to pop above 420, look for it to get a bit more excited to the downside in price, upside in yield. Yeah, Back to you. Uh, certainly a reaction will happen in the stock market to that. Rick, when was the last time you gave an auction a D minus? Uh, honestly, I think a seven-year note auction about a year and a half ago, and that's the only other one. Wow. Okay. Big day today. Rick, thank you. Rick Santelli. Stock slipping with the midterms unfolding, earnings winding down, and the focus shifting back to recession risk. Our next guest says, despite all the headwinds facing corporate America, some stocks can still thrive in this environment. Joining us now with some stock picks is Joanne Feeney, partner and portfolio manager at Advisors Capital Management. Joanne, great to have you with us. Hey, Melissa, good to see you. Are you going to say healthcare and uh, staples? <laughs> <laughs> That's been an awfully good place to be for a while, but, you know, investors have to now look forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might be uh, in a place where a lot of the bad news is out there. Uh, there are certainly a lot of hopes for a stronger showing among Republicans in, in Congress. And I think now reality is setting in that we're going to see a lot of gridlock in Washington. So don't expect much to happen from that quarter. But uh, the recession risk is still there. Inflation, obviously, being keenly watched and what the Fed needs to do to get that under control, given all of the challenges it faces in, in executing to that goal. Yeah, I was I was joking um, about healthcare care in Staples. I do see that you like some tech stocks. Um, and I, I did want to ask you specifically about Apple. Um, you know, there is this feeling that perhaps the likes of an Apple, maybe even a Microsoft, haven't yet felt the full effects of a recession, of a true slowdown in consumer spending. And I'm wondering, you know, when you're saying that you like these stocks now, are you saying that we've seen the worst for them or that you're willing to invest through the worst that is still yet to come? Yeah, Melissa, I don't think anybody knows whether we've seen the worst yet, because clearly we've seen that slowdown in PC demand, Mm -hmm. consumer electronics more broadly. And and that's certainly hurting Apple and Microsoft, more so Microsoft, because it has that broader exposure. Apple's been somewhat protected because of its uh, tendency to sell to higher income consumers and they don't feel the hurt as much from inflation and high gas prices. Um, But we're starting to see some cracks form there as well and they certainly still have supply uh, problems that they're dealing with. So it's not necessarily that the worst is, uh, is in the numbers, but I think investors recognize those risks and have built them into their forecast. So it's more uh, for a long-term investor, you're never gonna necessarily time this perfectly and get out and get back in at the bottom. It's more, you don't know when investor sentiment is gonna change and recognize that Apple and Microsoft are still companies that ultimately are gonna have pretty strong growth relative to the market average over the next two, three, five years. And this might be a pretty good time to add to a position or, or to get in if you don't have that exposure. Is there or should there be China risk built into the Apple numbers at this point, Joanne? I mean, when you think about the company, I mean, granted, it is trying to move production out of China and into places like India. But still, it it manufactures the majority of its iPhones in China. We've seen the impact with the most recent COVID lockdown. It just it feels like it's another lockdown away from really missing numbers or another lockdown, you know, another uh, argument spat between the U.S. and China before China will say, you know what, we're going to close the ports and you can't get any of the parts that you need to to make the iPhones in China. 
Um, have investors, have you factored that in? Have you said, you know what, there is a risk here? Or do you think that you, you overlook this? It's not truly a risk. No, no, it's definitely a risk. In fact, we have an entire international team focused on that and trying to understand really uh, beyond just that this could happen, that could happen. What are the incentives within China? And, and it's always hard to, to figure out such a different political environment than the one we're used to. And we do believe those risks are elevated. Um, on the other hand, China does have the incentive not to kill the goose that laid the golden egg. Uh, it gets a lot of employment. It gets a lot of business activity out of that relationship with Apple. So it is clearly also trying to do whatever it can to keep the factories like Foxconn up and running, even though COVID cases are surging. Uh, they are doing things to try to get more workers back in the factory. So there doesn't seem to be a, a move away from uh, continuing to support Apple within China. So yes, you know things can happen and, and there may be more shutdowns ahead. But, you know, these are also likely to be temporary. We saw one good sign in that China is now allowing the BioNTech um, vaccine to be given out to expats mm -hmm. in China. We hope, you know, that that is a move towards a broader effort uh, and campaign to vaccinate so they can move more towards reopening. But again, you don't invest based on hope. You invest based on what's a temporary problem uh, for Apple, for China, and what is really the long term potential. And we are seeing Apple move some of its production away from China as a hedge itself. Right. Um, you also like TJX, Target, and Constellation Brands. Are these uh, sort of defensive names in the portfolio? Yes, yeah, sort of. I mean, those are all names that have some recession resilience to them, mm -hmm. right? C consumers that are facing uh, more difficult budgetary environments with high inflation tend to downshift into more affordable uh, locations like a TJ Maxx or a Target. And so it's not just a defensive name in, in that the stocks are, say, less volatile. These companies actually have the chance to grow because I, we believe and we're seeing it starting to show up in the data. They're going to see more foot traffic. They're going to see more shoppers. And they're going to actually have an opportunity now that they fix their inventory and stock the right stuff. We think they're going to have an opportunity to show greater growth in other areas, certainly of the retail economy. All right, Joanne, great to speak with you. Thank you. Joanne Feeney with Advisors Capital Management. Coming up, a view from the C-suite on the state of the supply chain. The head of one of the largest logistics providers in the world is here with a look at how companies like Boeing and Nike are managing their inventory and what it says about the health of the economy. Plus, Bitcoin falling to its lowest level in two years after the crypto deal that shocked the world. But one stakeholder isn't so sure the Binance FTX deal will go through and says the fallout could be a field day for regulators. The exchange is back right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Shares of GXO higher after posting a top and bottom line beat for the third quarter. The logistics giant provides services from warehousing to autonomous bots and more and saw revenue grow 16 percent from the same time last year. It also counts Boeing, Nike and Raytheon among its biggest clients. But shares have been cut in half this year, are down more than 30 percent since it was spun off from XPO Logistics in August 2021. Here to talk the supply, to save the supply chain, the holiday shipping surge and more is Malcolm Wilson. He's the CEO of GXO Logistics. Malcolm, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me on the show, Melissa. What are you seeing in terms of the movement of goods? Are we still seeing a, an impact from supply chain issues? You know, all the supply chain issues that we had in 2012, they're largely dissipating now. Mm -hmm. This year is much easier. Still some disruptions, but generally, goods are coming into the warehouses. That's where we are, the four walls of the warehouse. And we're looking ahead now into the holiday season. I think it's going to be a good holiday season. Um, in terms of, of goods into warehouses, have all the goods for the holiday season, are they in the warehouses right now and need to be dealt with? Absolutely, uh -huh. yeah. Warehouses are well stocked. And good news, this year, unlike last year, labour availability. We're able to bring all those skilled workers into our warehouses. Oh. It's much better availability this year. We're why, not why suffering. Why is that? It's, I think it's the end of the pandemic last year and more people in the job market. Okay. So more people are looking for jobs. I mean, are you thinking that people are, are spurred to take jobs because it's everything's more expensive these days? <laughs> yeah. No, I just think it's, there was more availability. Last mm -hmm. year, this time last year, still a lot of people out due to the pandemic. That, that workforce is back in the market now. And what we're doing as an organisation, I mean, we're actually busy recruiting. 20,000 people we're bringing into our business at the moment. So we're a net employer, and that's great for the economy. You're a net employer, and also you're spending more on technology to Absolutely. save on costs, so things like robots. Uh, how much has that saved for you in terms of costs, or how much has that improved your margins? It's significant. When we deploy technology across our business, it's having the effect, it's bringing more efficiency, more productivity in the buildings. And of course, technology warehouses, they tend to be safer. Uh, our team members actually really like to work across technology operations. So we're deploying more and more technology. This last quarter, in fact, has been our highest level of technology deployment as a company. Mm -hmm. how, how much are you sort of the first line read on how your customers are doing? <laughs> do, you, do you sit back and think, oh, you know, you know, they're not bringing as much inventory in or the inventory is not moving out as quickly. And so maybe this company is having trouble. I think our company... Our industry, it's in a unique position. We touch so many different industries, so many different organizations, big blue chip organizations. So I think we're in a unique position to see what's happening. Right now, actually, we're confident on 2023. Uh, we hear a lot of talk about recession, but what we can see, judging from what we're seeing on the ground, consumers are outspending money. There's still confidence mm -hmm. around what's happening for next year. So the inventory, the stuff that's being brought in the warehouse, it indicates the consumers will buy it. I, I, that's, that, <coughs> that's what we're seeing. Goods are moving through our warehouses now, whether that's e-fulfillment or one of the largest e-fulfillment platforms mm -hmm. in the world, or whether it's going into brick and mortar. We're seeing a brisk 
end of the year. And I think that's great. Um, a lot of your work is contractual, so you have a certain amount of time where you lock in your customers for. At what point do you start seeing customers readjust because of the economy? When do you think you'll start seeing that, if we see that? Yeah, I think we're already seeing a little of that. And when I, when, what I mean by that is we're seeing projects that historically would have been put down looking for 2023, we're starting to see some projects, customers adjusting the projects, mm -hmm. they're going to the consumer in different ways, and they're looking to us to help them uh, evolve those designs, evolve those solutions, and that's really at the heart of what we do for all of our customer base. All right, Malcolm, great to see you. Thanks so much. Thanks, Melissa. Thank Malcolm you. Wilson, still ahead. Meta becoming the latest tech company to announce a round of layoffs, and with more firms cutting back on costs, what should you do to find yourself out of a job? Sharon Epperson is here with some financial advice from the experts. Plus, the head of Volkswagen Group of America is here for his first TV interview since taking the helm. We'll ask him why he's so bullish on the American EV market and what it'll take for car prices to come down. The exchange is back right after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to the exchange. The market's right now decidedly lower across the board. We've got the Dow uh, down by 383 points or 1.16 percent. S&P 500 down by one and a quarter percent. The Nasdaq we're watching very closely. We're at session lows right now, 10,445 or down 1.6 percent. We were talking about Bassani about this earlier, um, about the relationship between Bitcoin and risk assets like tech stocks, a.k.a. the Nasdaq. What we're seeing right now is, is Bitcoin at its lows of the day today. And we've got the Nasdaq sitting right here at session lows as well. Meantime, here's some of the movers that are watching for you this hour. Disney on pace for its worst day since March 2020 after missing earnings and revenue estimates. Higher costs from Disney Plus weighed on results and the company warned subscriber growth may taper going forward. The stock is trading at its lowest level since the start of the pandemic. It is down 12.5% right now. And from Hollywood to homes, DR Horton is higher despite posting a miss on the top and the bottom lines. The country's largest home builder saying it will not give guidance due to the uncertainty in the housing market. And that stock uh, is up by 4.4%. And a firm that is down 20% after posting a wider than expected loss, cutting its annual guidance. The buy now, pay later stock is now down a whopping 93% from its recent high. It is at $12.31 right now. Still ahead, chaos in the crypto world. More on the fallout from the financed FTX deal and how much worse it could get if the deal does not go through. That's next on The Exchange. Welcome back to The Exchange. I'm Tyler Matheson with your CNBC News update this afternoon. Here's what's happening right now. Tropical storm Nicole already causing damage in Florida, even though the storm is still over the Bahamas. Nicole's sustained winds about 70 miles an hour, but expected to hit hurricane strength. That's about 75 uh, before the storm comes ashore in Florida tonight. There you see some of the damage. New Jersey House Democrat Tom Malinowski has conceded defeat in his race against Tom Kane Jr. This is Kane's fourth run for Congress. NBC News Now projects Republicans will win 222 seats in the House. That's enough for a nine-seat majority. 
Kevin McCarthy will be the new speaker, everyone thinks. However, NBC not yet projecting Republicans will take the House because so many races remain too close to call. We shall see, but 222 is more than the number needed. President Biden is thanking poll workers and officials for defending Americans' quote, sacred right to vote. Biden says he will have more to say on the midterm elections in remarks scheduled for 4 p.m. Eastern time today. And correcting something from last hour, folks, uh, we reported incorrectly that California passed a measure legalizing sports betting. Both propositions on the issue were in fact rejected by the voters, Melissa, no sports betting there. All right, Tyler, thank you. Crypto is still under pressure today. In fact, Bitcoin is at the lows of the day, the lowest level since November 2020. Ether, its lowest level since July. Selling volume for Bitcoin right now at the highest in at least six months. This according to Fundstrat. This following a Coindesk report today that sources are telling them that Binance is strongly leaning towards scrapping its FTX takeover. And that's exactly what our next guest is warning about. Let's bring in Kavita Gupta, the uh, Delta blockchain founder and uh, general partner and an equity holder in FTX. Kavita, great to have you with us. Thank you, Melissa. So you're an equity holder in FTX. When did you get in? I mean, it was just two months ago, valued at a $32 billion valuation, and now it's a shadow of its former self. Uh, it was through the fund long time back. It was pre-Series A. Mm -hmm. So, of course, the valuation has been up and up, but nobody, very few people came at uh, saw it coming, especially earlier days when we saw Celsius going down. Uh, uh, FTX and the founder has been going out. Sam has been tweeting that this is why we have such amazing risk management at FTX. None of the customers' money ever moves, so you always have liquidity, whatever the customer puts. It's actually a part of their contract, which everyone signs when they open the account, that they never loan, trade, or move customers' money from the exchange. Um, so now seeing a centralized exchange literally going down of that value uh, with some of the most heavyweights from Silicon Valley to crypto native funds has been a really big bloodbath for the space. What? How do you think about the ripple effects here, Kavita, in terms of the impact on funds that have been in, in investors who now have to mark down those, those investments to zero? potentially, um, their ability to then deploy money elsewhere, uh, them maybe being locked up in other crypto-related uh, companies that are also taking huge hits of valuation just because of this, this larger crisis of confidence in this industry. I think what you said is definitely a lot of really multi-billion dollar fund would have to put it down to zero because I said that yesterday, I'm saying it today, though now Coindesk is reporting it. I don't think it was that Binance would go ahead with this deal. It just doesn't make sense. But coming back to your question, um, I think there are multiple impact to it. First impact is, as you noted, that a lot of crypto funds have to value it down. The second impact is, over $2 billion investments done by FTX into crypto companies, their accounts are with FTX. How many of them are able to move their treasuries out of it? Then you're th talking about the layer one solutions, whether all the alternative chains, whether it's Solana, whether it's Aptos, Sui, bunch of them, they, the, their really big treasuries are on FTX. How's that going to move? Uh, and another impact, which people are not even thinking about it, if those treasuries don't move, then these the whole start 
startup companies, you're talking about 1,500 to like 3,000 companies having a lot of issues on surviving this in the crypto winter, which also indirectly comes back to the crypto VCs, how we going to take care of it with so many of our other companies uh, and the regulations on top of it with the existing exchange. So I see that we have not seen the bottom of it and uh, the ripple slash cascading impacts are going to be huge over next two months to be absorbed. When you say treasuries, just you mean capital, just working capital for operations, day-to-day operations of all these companies that have some sort of affiliation or investment from an FTX. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of DeFi and most Mm -hmm. of the DeFi zones were happening on FTX, you know. So what we could be seeing is is potentially a a collapse in many companies. I would say uh, there would be a lot of opportunity to do down rounds because if Uh the technology is good and the founders are great, there will be a lot of amazing VCs, including us at Delta, who would love the opportunity to participate in it at better valuation. I won't call it a collapse, but I would definitely say that it will create first one of its own kind, sort of a very tight cascading impact in the space. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say let's say FTX, uh, the Binance deal for FTX does go through. Are we just kicking the can down the road? Are we setting up a similar circumstance in which the same thing could actually happen because you have one player in the industry owning a company that has its tentacles in so many different players? Um, first of all, I don't think it would go through, but let's assume a situation it does go through. Um, you're still going to see FTT tokens being completely busted out, which mm-hmm. does mean that there is a lot of DeFi cascading impact on a negative side, which is going to happen. Uh, also, FTT tokens were used by most of the traders on uh, Almeda and on FTX as a discount way to trade. So we're also going to see a lot of wealth being disappeared from the space. Uh, Said that, uh, on your question that what does it mean, I think... I think this is going to be a wake-up call for a lot of centralized exchange plus decentralized exchange on how does governance, regulation, uh, having a sort of a monopoly really work. And if you are an exchange, what are the businesses you should or shouldn't do or have a sort of a Chinese wall associated mm-hmm. with it? So far, it's been really a wild, wild bird. Right. Um, you mentioned some some down rounds that, that will be happening Uh, in the future and how that could be an opportunity. I mean, if you think about, for instance, the Solana blockchain, Solana or Sol is down 90% this year. And so I'm wondering how you start thinking about when is a good time to invest? And I guess I'm I'm really, you know, we're trying to to identify maybe some opportunities for, for our audience who might be thinking, you know what, we were so hot on Solana and the Solana blockchain for so long, and now it's down 90%. You know, Melissa, this is my uh, third game show of the bearish (laughs) bullish market. And I always find it very basic principle of uh, economics, very surprising that people really get high in the bullish market and want to go in. And as soon as it comes to bearish market, people are like, "Okay, this is all that we are getting out. But that is the real opportunity. Our second fund, which is basically an OTC trading fund, is all about going into it at the bottom of the market, holding it and go towards the bullish market uh, because we really believe in tech. Solana is a huge ecosystem. Uh, It does have some tech issues, but they are working and working on it as any other alternative blockchain. Uh, But I think we're going to see even more dump in Solana as we are seeing in last three days because of this such close association with FTX and Mm -hmm. Almeida's balance sheet holding such a huge amount of locked unlocked tokens that over next one week or two weeks, we're going to see a lot of dump, more expected dump out there. Wow. 
All right, Kavita, great to speak with you. Thanks for your insights. Kavita you, Gupta. Marie. Coming up, Elon Musk's Twitter takeover weighing heavily on Tesla as he continues to liquidate shares to finance that endeavor. Tesla's down nearly 14% this week and 55% off its 52-week high. Could another sale be on the horizon? That is next. The exchange is back in two. All three major averages hitting session lows. The Dow is now lower by just about uh, 500 points. 1.4% is the loss there. Meantime, we're watching shares of Tesla. They're falling yet again today. Not Now at levels not seen since late 2020 as Elon Musk sells another $4 billion in stock. Remember that he pledged back in April no more sales. But this marks the second one time since that promise. The move seven investors worry that uh, Tesla is now Musk's ATM for Twitter. Robert Frank joins us now to go through the numbers. Robert. Melissa, there he goes again. SEC filing showing Musk sold 19.5 million Tesla shares between Friday and yesterday. That brings his total sales this year to 19 billion. That, as you mentioned, despite his claim in April that no further sales planned after today. Then again in August when he confirmed, quote, he was done selling. Now, it's unclear why he sold. It was more than a week after he closed on that $44 billion Twitter deal and he took over the company. So he either used these funds to help pay for that deal after closing or he needs to fund the losses and restructuring at Twitter going forward. As he said, Twitter is losing $4 million a day right now. The Twitter deal is looking more and more expensive, not just to Musk, but also to Tesla shareholders. Tesla losing about half a trillion dollars in market cap since he first invested in Twitter. Dan Ives of Wedbush saying, quote, the Twitter circus show has been an absolute debacle from all angles since Musk bought the platform for all the world to see. Twitter, he said, has become an albatross for Tesla investors. Now, if Musk hasn't done so well himself. He's lost $90 billion in wealth so far this year, Melissa. That's even more than Mark Zuckerberg, which is saying something. I feel like the two smallest violins in the world are, are playing for them, Robert. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there's still plenty, yeah. plenty of rich. We should note that Tesla uh, stock right now, we're at a new 52-week lower. At lows, actually, we haven't seen in about 20 months. It's funny, Robert, that you mentioned the Dan Ives note, because I was reading it this morning, and he actually said that, uh, that Musk has a credibility issue. So even going forward in terms of his ability, it's, it's not... It's not just this overhang, but his ability to even maybe even raise more money. It's just it's the whole notion that his word really does not mean much anymore is a real problem in all aspects of his life and his business life. It is a problem, Melissa. And you're right, Dan, I've saying it's the boy who cried wolf just mm-hmm. too many times. What Elon Musk needs to do, fine, he's selling stock. What doesn't matter exactly whether it's to pay for the deal or fund the deal going forward. He just needs to communicate to Tesla investors going forward what they can expect. He, he could just say, look, I plan to, I may sell more shares right. this year or I may sell more next year or I'm done. But just, just tell us what you're going to do and stick to it. Of course, that's not what he's done in the past about anything, but that's what investors want. Yep. Robert, thank you. Robert Frank. Thanks. Still ahead, hippies rejoice. The iconic Volkswagen microbus is getting an electric makeover. And if VW's predictions about EV market share are right, you could be seeing a lot of those in the road in a few years. The CEO of Volkswagen America will join us next to discuss the exchange. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to The Exchange. Between elevated gas prices and President Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, 2022 has been a good year for electric vehicles. According to recent data, EVs now make up 6% of autos here in the United States. And our next guest thinks that number will increase to 50% by 2030. Joining us now in Exchange Exclusive is Pablo DC, the president and CEO of Volkswagen Group of America, which recently rolled out its first EV produced in the United States. Pablo, great to have you with us. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me. How is the demand out there right now, especially with so many competitors out there? Well, the demand continues to be strong. Mm -hmm. As I go through our dealer network, visiting in different cities across the U.S., uh, I see that the demand continues to be strong for electric vehicles. Uh, and I think that will continue throughout 2023. So I'm cautiously optimistic because also, Melissa, we have a good order bank. So we have a good order that it will carry on into 2023. So reservations. Correct. But they're not, those are not guaranteed sales, correct? They're not guaranteed sales. They're contracts uh -huh. behind them. And there are customers that want the vehicles. Right. And again, as I walk through the dealer network, the, the, the customers continue to want the vehicle. Right. Interest rates have, have shot up uh, to the point where, where some you know, car payments per month is higher than rent for, for some people out there. And I'm wondering how you think about financing and how that could impact demand for a car. Yeah, so Melissa, from a, fa from a macro point of view, I think the Fed is moving into the right direction, right? We need to get inflation under control, under the belt, overall in the economy. Obviously, the payments are increasing. On the other hand, the residual values of the cars have increased as well. So that mitigates a little bit the inflationary effect. And I think at the end of the day, uh, the demand will slow down a little bit. Now, it will, will not decrease, but it will slow down. And the supply and demand will be matched and will, the prices will stabilize by next year. I mean, right now you're still dealing with supply chain issues, so you can't even fulfill the orders necessarily that customers have. So in terms of, in terms of that trade-off, when, when the supply chain issues are worked out and you've got that full flow of cars, is there any concern that the demand won't necessarily be there on the other side? That's a great point, Melissa. I think we're never going back to the old days of having huge amounts of inventory in our dealer network or in the factory. So we're going to need to be quick to read the market and adjust our production going back and forth so we don't have a huge amount of stock. But going to your question, particularly on supply chain, I think we still have issues on the suppliers and primarily on the logistics side, but things have significantly improved versus 2021, mm -hmm. and I think they will improve in 2023. Right. Um, we were just talking off camera about the price of lithium and how it shot up, and then it's come down and, and sort of stabilized at this point. But with so many players out there, so many manufacturers increasing their EV targets by 2030 or, or whatever date you want to put out there. Is there enough lithium and, and how much will that lithium cost? Are we going to see another surge in price? Because if every if all of you guys are right in your forecast, that's a lot of batteries to be made. Well, I think we're in a specific time in history, right? <laughs> if you think about the cell phone industry or the laptop industry, when everybody was buying those, Technology came along and we made improvements. So I think the battery technology, there's a lot of knowledge out there, but I think through R&D, through innovation, the, the minerals will come down and the, battery, the cost of the battery will come down by 2030. Okay, and I, and I gotta ask you, so we were just talking about Elon Musk, and this may seem off topic to you, but I'm, I'm curious if you think that what is going on with Twitter will, will help at all, if there's any sort of tarnishing of the Tesla brand, perception of Tesla because of Elon Musk and what he's doing at Twitter, that could actually be helpful to Volkswagen and Volkswagen sales. Well, you know, I work for Volkswagen, so I can only comment on, on VW. And I can tell you that we have great products. 
you know, 25 products, electric products by 2030. We have a great and bright future ahead of us. Are they the ones that you're gunning for, though, Tesla, in terms well, of competition? Yeah, I mean, w- when we look at 2030, we believe the, the electric vehicles will be about 50%. Right. Our portfolio will be about 55% of electric vehicles by 2030. So we're not going after one particular company. We need to continue investing in innovation, in manufacturing in the U.S., bringing jobs here, having more regional content right here in the U.S., and obviously be connected with the consumer, like we did with the ID bus. You know, when, right. when consumers think about the ID bus, they think about the heritage of our brand and brings those good memories back to Volkswagen. All right. Pablo, great to see you. Thanks Thank for you. coming in. Thanks, Melissa. Pablo, D.C. What, what day? Six, number 60, day on the job? Number 60, yeah. Number six, lucky number <laughs> 60. All right. Thanks, Pablo. Thank you. Elon Musk holding a discussion on Twitter spaces. Where else? And he's got some wild ideas. We'll bring you the headlines next. Welcome back to The Exchange. Elon Musk is on Twitter spaces discussing the future of Twitter. Julia Borson's got the details. Um, he's talking about a lot of stuff, Julia. A lot of stuff, increasing the pace of change. Um, Elon Musk certainly seems to see Twitter as having the potential of becoming a super app. He just wrapped up of this conversation on Twitter spaces in which he said he, want people, he wants people on the platform to be able to make peer-to-peer payments. He talked about the need to improve the relevance of ads in Twitter and said that will get a lot better in coming months. He said the rate of evolution of Twitter will be an immense change compared to what it has been. And he also weighed in on those advertisers that have paused their spend. He said, I understand if people want to give it a minute and see how things are evolving, the best way to see how things are evolving is just to use Twitter. And we've been more rigorous, he says, with clamping down on bots and trolls, not less. The content is improving, not getting worse. Um, He also said that they will have this content council to weigh in on account bans, but ultimately the responsibility is mine. Musk says the buck stops with me. And he says he understands that advertisers and users will leave the platform if um, if it doesn't feel like a safe space. And he really talked about sort of having this whole new idea of making advertising more relevant and making advertiser, advertising um, feel like content. So on one hand, he's talking about improving the core business of Twitter, Melissa, which is ads. On the other hand, um, he's saying this idea that Twitter could be a lot more with money market and peer-to-peer payments. Um, so, so, so much going on here, but ultimately he says that he's going to improve the platform. Yeah, and he's very, also- very quickly. Yeah, very quickly because it's burning money. And he was talking about Twitter blue subscribers being able to download high high definition video for 10 minutes or something that ways to bring in revenue. I was wondering, Julie, if you also caught within the spaces um, this quote that I'm reading off the wire is that he wouldn't do anything that would somehow be advantageous to Tesla. Wasn't sure what that exactly meant. And I'm just curious because Tesla shares right now are at session lows. So what he was saying is that he understands that that other auto advertisers are not going to want to not going to want to spend money on Twitter if he does anything that unfairly disadvantages Tesla on the platform. And of course, the automakers are huge advertisers, not just on Twitter, but across the board. They spend a lot of money on advertising. And we've seen from so many different automakers that they are pausing their spend on Twitter. So that's what he was addressing right there. I see. All right. Uh, Twitter shares 179.04. Seen as the ATM right now uh, for Twitter. Julia, thank you for rounding that up. Elon Musk and Spaces. That does it for us here on The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. At Capella University, 
you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.